0: Yeah, Tony, you do need books in your background. Yeah, I'm just in You
1: guys, I see the books. You guys want that books. That's a thing, you know. If you're doing these, we're not using the video, but if we're using the video, I'd put some books back in. It looks
2: a there's, a there's a Twitter feed that's just like people's books on Zoom. Oh, no and way. they just go and they capture people's, like, background books, and then they, they give a little analysis. Right, of, uh, and then judge them. Yes. I've been harshly judged by a different Twitter account that just says, what's your Zoom background in general? And it was not this one. It was a different one. And anyway, they didn't (laughs) like it.
1: And now you're up in the attic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, essentially. (laughs) This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. Today we have on Alex Vitale, who is a sociologist at Brooklyn College, but also um, the author of many books, including The End of Policing, which was uh, released in 2017, which seems more relevant than ever.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm so excited to talk to this guy. He knows everything there is to know about policing, so let's do it. Let's go. Thanks so much for coming on. Alex Vitale, professor of sociology at Brooklyn College, He's author of many publications on policing in America. And if you haven't read his latest book, The End of Policing, published by Verso in 2017, you got to run out and get it. Um, get your copy uh, right after you listen to this episode. Uh, It's a one-volume education on the history and social consequences of American policing in all of its guises, you know, from everyday beat police to border patrol to SWAT to cops in schools. Um, It's it's really uh, enlightening. So the reason we wanted to get you on was to talk about this concept of police abolition that's been gaining traction. Um, But before we get to that, there's a couple of things that emerge from your book that I wanted to ask you about. And what I really like about this book, um, as opposed to or in distinction to other books about policing in America, is that you offer not only like a diagnosis of the problems, but you have in each chapter quite literally like alternatives. Like, okay, if you, you did this, it's not working. Maybe you could do this, which which is it's really great to see that and it's alternatives to remedies to like the social problems that have become bundled in the police portfolio right like that that's 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 what you're offering um and before we get to this you know the the opening chapter is a whole discussion of why police reforms have not worked um and that's of course the go-to script by law enforcement and their political allies whenever there is a spectacular abuse of police power. It's like police reform. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna ban chokeholds, whatever it is. Uh, so, in your view, what's the problem with that approach?
2: So, well, first, uh, guys, thanks for, uh, so much for having me on and for the kind words about the book. Uh, Music to every author's ears, of course so you know this is the fundamental challenge right is that we've been told over the last five or six years that don't worry we're going to fix this we're going to give the police some special training and body cameras and and we're going to tweak some use of force policies and and create a little better oversight and maybe a civilian review commission. And it just really hasn't made any difference. And in part because it misunderstands the nature of the problem, right? It's trying to sort of reverse engineer a solution based on these very high profile, horrible cases. Eric Garner and George Floyd and so many others to name. And it ignores the ways in which even proper policing can cause tremendous harms. You know, a totally lawful, procedurally proper, low-level drug arrest is still fundamentally harmful and unjust, it, it's not saving any lives, it's not saving any communities, it's not preventing anyone from getting any drugs. Even the person who's been arrested can get drugs once they get to jail or prison. So. So really the argument is that we've got to get beyond this idea that we're going to tweak our way out of this problem with some technocratic like rounding off of the edges and we have to think more holistically about why we're using police to solve every problem under the sun. And then, and then, you know, you can go into the specific interventions, implicit bias training, body cameras, and talk about why the evidence shows it doesn't work, it, it can't possibly work, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but really, that's the more fundamental issue here, is that it just misunderstands the nature of the problem.
0: Okay. So, the the, the problem is more sort of foundational, right, right, that, 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 that this is kind of... Um, Banning a certain technique of restraint is epiphenomenal rather
2: than like going to the sort of the heart of it, right? Um, And it doesn't even work right when we try to ban these things then but they still keep happening anyway,
0: okay one so I guess one argument could be and I and I think it's mounted right by 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 various would be police reformers um, Is that even if you want police abolition? reform is a good path to sort of get there right so and and that's kind of like the strategy of like the defunding argument is like oh we're going to start with defunding and then the the sort of end game there is abolition so what would you say to the argument that if the police are too violent they're militarized they're you know they're armed to the teeth to like go give like marijuana drug warrants uh so what would you say to somebody who's saying like well okay the police you know there's you know, seventeen thousand odd departments—they're not going anywhere tomorrow. So why not say maybe take away their bayonets? You know, like, like, like that sort of thing. You know, like
2: like what's wrong with that? Uh, nothing. Nothing's wrong with that. So we—I think we need to maybe have a little bit more clarity about the term reform. So I don't think of uh, efforts to to take away the power and responsibility of police and replace it with better alternatives as reforms. Reforms are really the kinds of things that are included in the Obama administration's task force on 21st century policing. These are what uh, are often referred to as procedural justice oriented reforms that are designed to make police more professional, less biased, more formally accountable, better embedded within a legal criminal justice framework. Uh, And the goal of those reforms is to restore legitimacy to policing and to get the public to have more trust in the police. But those reforms don't in any meaningful way interrogate questions of substantive justice. You know, why are we using the police to deal with certain things? What are the actual harmful consequences of using police even in procedurally proper ways? And this is very different than a, than a question of substantive justice that's raised by, let's call it the defund movement or the kind of invest-divest movement or the police abolition movement. So e- even the most hardcore abolitionists don't think that tomorrow they're going to find some magical switch and poof, there are no police. You know, they don't, they don't imagine there's some city council that's going to zero out the police budget this year. They know that we have to take concrete steps to diminish the power of policing to create better alternatives in communities and also to build up a kind of logic and political power that might lead to some broader future world, some broader vision of a future world where we don't need to rely on people with guns and and putting people in cages to to create safety. So the the efforts to demilitarize the police, to replace policing with non-coercive, non-punitive alternatives are what we sometimes call non-reformist reforms because they're not designed to restore legitimacy to policing. They're designed to limit the scope and power of policing.
0: Okay, okay. Tony, you want to jump yeah, in? Yeah, I've got a,
1: a couple questions. Um, in order to tackle uh, abolishing the police, would you not first need to tackle gun laws in America?
2: Because, go ahead. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question, right? We, we've got hundreds of millions of guns in circulation in the United States. We have a, a political class that has a very perverse reading of the Second Amendment that, that thinks that private unregulated ownership is what the Founding Fathers were referring to, which just seems patently ridiculous. Uh, and we have a deep historical legacy of violence and use of weapons in the pursuit of of slavery and colonialism and and you know winning the frontier and things like that. So some people have tried to approach this through a supply-side strategy. uh, Bloomberg I think is a great example of this where he he's put huge amounts of money into campaigns around formal gun control efforts. These have been largely unsuccessful and they don't deal with the demand side problem. And I think this is really where the focus needs to be because yes, you know the, the so-called defund the movement, police abolitionists, these are public safety movements. They, as much as anyone, want the guns off the streets, want fewer shootings, but, but further efforts at gun control and criminalizing gun possession and ownership I don't think are gonna work. Instead, we need to look at the demand side. Why are people picking up guns? Why are they stockpiling guns? Why are they carrying guns around with them? And mostly it's out of a sense of insecurity. These are, most gun carriers are not predators, right? They are people who feel insecure. Now the, the context matters here. So in an urban setting, in a high crime community, this is about fear of predators who do exist. Uh, But also, look look at the gun hoarding in rural America among whites in particular, right? This is about a certain kind of existential fear. You know, these are the same people who watch a lot of zombie movies, you know, who think that there's a coming apocalypse, that the the world is out of control, and they're going to recreate some sense of security for themselves by arming up. And we've got to address that too. Why is that? That's the product of a whole set of political failures to provide some sense of security for Americans, because Americans do not feel secure right now in their lives for themselves, for their families, their economic futures, their personal security. So let's start to actually address those things. And I think what we'll see is that gun sto- you know, storage and gun carrying will diminish appropriately
0: yeah this is one of the questions that i had about what abolition would look like right that given there's i think the stats say that there's something like 200 odd million private legal weapons circulating in america um and that does not count the illegal weapons um add to that and it's interesting you brought up Bloomberg because stop and frisk was also billed as a gun control thing right you know that that was like that was the approach right? we're trying to get guns off the streets that we're gonna we're gonna yeah stop.
2: And he refused to fund any demand side initiatives right
0: right um, so we have that fact right um, we also have the fact of a huge demand for illegal drugs in in America right um, and there are criminal organizations that are more than happy to supply those drugs and are more than able and willing to use violence uh, to achieve that end. So and so you've got drugs, you've got criminal organizations, you've got addiction coming from drugs, which then has spillover effects with like theft and criminal behaviors that come from those addictions. What does police abolition look like in the face of, say, you know, like, you know, up, in, in Vermont and uh, in Northern New England, there's kind of like a meth corridor um, that you know, how do how do we how does one deal with
2: that in the absence of traditional police? Right. So you know, prohibition, using law enforcement to manage the problems of drugs has just been a one hundred percent failure. I mean, we'll come up with a metric and we just have nothing to show for it. overdoses, usage rates you know, the amount of violence that's just had no beneficial effects. Anybody in the United States can get any kind of drugs anytime they want them. I speak in a lot of high schools and colleges and I always ask students if you had to get illegal drugs to pass, you know, is there anyone who would be at risk of failing? And They all laugh, they all know who they, and most of these kids are not using drugs, right? But they know who they would call to get the ball rolling on that. It's not a mystery. So We got to get rid of the war on drugs. We don't need bias training for narcotics officers. We don't need to give these SWAT teams that do drug raids in the middle of the night, you know, uh, implicit bias training or de-escalation training. We just need to get rid of the war on drugs. We need to turn it over to public health authorities, but also we need to understand the deeper malaise in American society that drives a lot of drug consumption but also the ways in which economic precarity drives a lot of people into drug dealing. And so these things can be addressed. Portugal has done this, is very happy with the results. I think we need to look at models of legalization, decriminalization, some complex mix of the two, get get doctors and pharmacies involved in creating Um, regulated supply and regulated access to things like opioids, which would almost overnight get rid of the overdoses, you know, because there would be no more fentanyl. Everyone would know exactly what they're getting. When we've had legalized distribution of heroin before, what we've seen is that usage rates go down because people know that they're going to have a regular supply. People go back to work. Overdoses disappear. Secondary infections go away. There's no more sharing of needles. There's no more HIV transmission, etc. And so if we do all that, then things like property crime would be dramatically diminished. I mean, burglary is overwhelmingly about people getting money for drugs, low level larcenies, shoplifting. That's all about people trying to get money for drugs. So we can get rid of all that. And then, of course, the violence that goes with the fact that it's an underground market. So people cannot, you know, if if someone violates an agreement, you can't take them to small claims court. You can't enforce a contract in, in a regular civil court. So you send guys with guns over and everyone's carrying cash, so there's violent robberies, and, and then people are carrying guns because of their involvement in the drug black market, and then someone looks at them funny or says something about their girlfriend, and then that escalates into a shooting, and the guns wouldn't be there if it weren't for the illicit drug markets.
1: Right, right. I've got a question, and I, it's a very broad question, but I think you'll, you'll get where I'm going. Let's assume Biden wins, which we shouldn't assume because we've assumed that in the past. But let's, for the sake of this argument, Biden wins. And, and his administration calls you to figure out police and they give you power. What's the first thing you do? Because we, we know it's not tomorrow, police are gone. I mean, it, we, we need certain steps to get to abolishing the police and coming up with new systems. Um, what's the first thing you take on?
2: So the, the first thing to, to keep in mind with your hypothetical, right, is that policing is primarily a local phenomenon, right? We're talking about 17, 18, 19,000 independent local police departments. So the federal role is somewhat limited. But I think that we have a pretty good guidepost uh, that I had a chance to contribute to, which is the BREATHE Act that has been introduced by Rashid Talib and Ayanna Presley to to members of Congress that calls for doing what the federal government could do, which is first we're gonna quit subsidizing local police with huge amounts of additional money, get rid of the so-called cops office that, that channels that, uh, get rid of Operation Relentless Pursuit, uh, this new Trump thing, Operation Legend, right? This is all more federal law enforcement, more money for, for local policing out of the feds. And then invest in the kinds of community-based public safety initiatives that people are calling for. Let's actually create some robust community mental health services so we don't have to call the police. Let's actually start fixing schools so that we have counselors, restorative justice programs, high-quality after-school activities, better resources for families let's actually do something about the drug problem let's create drug treatment on demand we don't have that anywhere in the united states you know high quality medically based drug treatment is very hard to obtain but we got policing on demand everywhere so these are some examples that are in the breathe act of the kinds of interventions that are necessary so dial back federal law enforcement I mean, abolish the DEA. Let's do that tomorrow, right away. There's They serve no positive purpose at all. Rethink ATF, border patrol, ICE. All this stuff could be rethought. But more importantly, provide those alternatives, those community-based investments that'll really make communities safer. I mean, look at the housing situation, the total federal abandonment of any kind of housing policy, for instance.
1: When I, when I get in debates with, into debates with people about, Um, what I've been calling defund the police. Um, I always say I feel bad for the cops too, not the cops that are beating and killing people, but cops are thrown in with minimal training. They're thrown into these roles where we call them for everything because we feel unsafe. And I, I feel like if you, if you put me in whatever the highest crime city in America is with the same training, and I was doing it for a couple of years. I think I would lose it. I think I would become depressed and angry. And you know, those are the cops I feel bad for. Are are the ones who are also, um, you know, being put at risk. So I think the way to approach this conversation is not like abolish the police. We hate the cops. We do. We do hate the cops that are killing people and and, and abusing people. But a lot of those cops would actually benefit from being trained to do other things? Cause I don't think most people get into policing because they want to kick down doors and shoot uh, drug addicts.
2: Yeah, I'm not in the, you know, I hate all cops business. I've been a police scholar for over two decades. I work with police all over the world. Uh, I This is not about bashing individual police officers. It's not really even about bashing killer cops. And I think there are a lot of people in the movement now who've gotten beyond this idea that we're going to fix this by throwing a few so-called bad cops in prison. This does not, this is not, doesn't fix the problem either. It makes you feel good for an afternoon, but it doesn't feed back into better policing. The problem of course is, is not about a lack of training per se. Right. We're not going to fix this by giving them 37 different units of training for the 37 different things they might uh, uh, come across in a day because a lot of that training is actually contradictory. Mm. And one of the things we find in some of the abusive force cases is that the officer says, well, you're saying I didn't do this in this training, but I received this other training that said that is what I'm supposed to do. And so how am I supposed to know which training applies in that situation in a a split second? And so it's not about better training them. It's about replacing them with people who do that specific thing really well, that they know how to handle someone having a mental health crisis, that they know how to work with a young person who's acting out in school because of a malnutrition or abuse problem at home. Right, that's not the job of a police officer. Police officers are violence workers, that's what distinguishes them from other forms of government workers, and they should only be used when that is the only possible response. And that's a very limited universe of things, in my opinion.
0: Right, so the
2: abolition
0: then, would then still have that sort of element of you know the coercive arm of the state in some way right like that 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 when we think about abolition, i'm just trying to like sort of flesh yep. out this concept right is that if we think about abolition of the police it's the current view of what the police do which is everything right that they're that's just a smorgasbord of every societal problem is a police problem right um but then there's still these sort of instances of when um, physical force is 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 required right now what do you make of the current uses um and we can two two sort of stark examples like we've got uh, customs and border patrol in portland right now being sort of deputized um, by by the trump administration to as basically riot police Um, and then also Bill de Blasio's use of police NYPD in response to the George Floyd uh, protests right so de Blasio's he's he's shifted a lot right The the, the from the police turning their backs to him um, at a funeral to uh, now he he's apparently has not seen any of these videos and so on of, of police abuse Um so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on, on you know, there's a sort of federal yeah. response and then a more localized one where we're so, using physical violence. Right.
2: Let, let me just say about what you what you said about abolition for a second. So there are certainly plenty of people out there who, who are abolitionists who really are spending a lot of energy trying to figure out how to get to a world with no police. So I don't want to undercut that in any way. That is a world that I would like to live in, that I would love to see come to be. My view is that this is an open question about what is that core remaining set of things that we need that coercive apparatus of the state for, as you said, You know where, that where we need violence workers. I think that this is about a process of trying to get there and constantly interrogating what's left. And then we see see where we are. I mean, it's like we live in these very complex societies, there is violence, there will be some predators, there will be harm, and so, you know, I don't know how to, you know, exactly what that world looks like. So, in terms of the, the policing of the demonstrations, I mean, this is a pol- profound political failure on a whole set of levels. Here, here we have a movement that's saying we want to diminish police power we want to diminish the use of police in our lives in our communities we feel that policing is out of control and unreformed and unreformable and we want to have a serious discussion about replacing police power with other better non-coercive alternatives and the response of the politicians has been to sick the police on people to unleash police power with tear gas and rubber bullets and mass arrests and driving cars into people to avoid having that political conversation, to mm-hmm. delegitimate that c- political conversation and to essentially criminalize the people making these demands. And that is a profound political failure. And it is making the point of the demonstrators, right? They We see now unambiguously that policing is unreformed that all this, uh, you know, de-escalation training and it's, it's been totally pointless, body cameras, they continue to brutalize people with a, with a complete uh, impunity about the whole thing. And the politicians are are backing them up or in some cases picking out one or two officers and throwing them under the bus for doing their political dirty work for them. And so across the country, these mayors, have to quit sending the police and start setting up actual processes for having a meaningful political conversation about how to move forward on this stuff and of course Trump you know he's doing this as a re-election strategy I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna paper I'm gonna say the problems of the United States are problems of Antifa you know gang bangers and drug cartels not federal economic policy, lack of health care, no infrastructure, you know, no, 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 no. the problems are Antifa, drug dealers, gangbangers, right, and I'm going to use the police to paper over that, and then you got these Democratic mayors all across the city going along with it, welcoming, you you know, despite all the protests in Portland, right, most of these big city mayors are very happy to do federal task forces with DEA and ATF and U.S. Marshals to get, quote, the bad guys. And and that this is the political challenge we're facing.
1: My last question, is there a place in the world that has really pulled back on their policing? Um, and is it working?
2: Yeah, sure. So I mentioned Portugal, right? They just got the police out of the drug business. No more narcotics units, very, very little of that. They, they do some international interdiction. Uh, New Zealand, parts of Australia, a lot of places have gotten uh, rid of their vice units. They got, they've got, they legalized or decriminalized sex work. In, in Europe, there's no such thing as school police. They, they think we're nuts. You know, in, in most places outside the US, they do not send police on mental health crisis calls. In, in the UK, you call a number that's attached to the National Health Service you get a trained mental health worker and because they have a national health insurance system the people responding have access to the medical records so they know what the diagnosis is what medication they're on who the who the doctor is who is the other people in the household that so they know what they're getting into they they can have notes from past encounters you know it's just a completely different approach so there's no reason why we can't do these things
1: yeah it's it's it just and then hearing you say that it's 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 guns it's really the, the big thing for me is guns in this country when you see people going into schools and killing kids it makes you f- have a false sense of uh safety knowing there's a cop there that could get the bad guys it's just part of the same yeah, cycle
2: yeah but you know there were gun there were armed police at columbine high school right when this all started, there were armed police in parkland florida who ran away. It made no difference. It made no difference. And when we, when we send armed police on these mental health crisis calls, it is precisely their presence that often leads to an escalation of violence because that person does not want to be arrested or forced into an emergency room by an armed police officer. And they also know that if they want to commit suicide by cop, the police will happily oblige them. And that phenomenon does not even exist in the UK. There's no such thing. Right, right. Because no one thinks someone's gonna come and kill them. America.
0: Well, it's also, I mean, the UK, it's like there's a huge distinction. They don't say police, they say armed police. Like the situation got real because they sent armed police because regular police
2: are not armed. That's right, only about 10% of police are qualified for for armed response and and they do very little day-to-day policing.
0: All right certainly not policing kindergartens um yeah okay well alex thank you so much uh for this this was fantastic um and again i want to plug this book everybody needs to read the end of policing uh it's it's fantastic it's it's so enlightening and it, and it covers a lot in, and it's, and it's short. <laughs> <laughs> it's relatively fission. short, fission. right? Yeah, it's very, very, oh, very God, pithy. Fission. Let's call it that. Um, but, but thanks again. Uh, we appreciate ha- you ha- having you on and for all the yeah. work that you're
2: doing. You're Thank- most welcome. You can get the book directly from Verso Books from the publisher and it's on sale quite cheap. So,
0: okay, there you go.
1: There Alex, you go. we appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: You bet.
0: All right. Take care.
2: Bye-bye.
1: was uh, a quick, very efficient education (laughs) in abolishing the police, which seemed like something I couldn't even think about. But even in that brief um, lesson, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) it makes sense. Yeah. Because I'm always, my my whole thing is always, we got to, they're just not trained enough. And he's just like, no, the training doesn't work. You you can't train them for a thousand little things.
0: This is... Uh, I've said this before, but the I, the idea of police training is music to the ears of every police department right. because they know they're just getting money and then they can use it in any way they really want as long as they have like their one day you know yep. anti-racism training whatever. Yep. Um, so yeah, he's he's completely right. So and, no more
1: defund the police; it's abolish the police and sink the money into education. Yeah, and well, look, mental I, health and, I, and legalizing uh, sex working. Uh, professions and, and drugs and who cares. Just just it's yeah, not working. Yeah. You know, people I are mean, on drugs now than ever.
0: Yeah, I mean and, and and his point about that if you wanna use a metric to to assess the war on drugs, the only thing that it's created is a war. Right. Right it's produced a lot of violence, it's produced more weapons, it's got a huge body count, but it has not ended the flow of drugs. So, but that seems like all of our wars post World War II. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, yeah, none of them really end. There's, A lot there's some die. And more there's is, something that to about? that. There is What's something to going that. Hold on there. Yeah, very violent piece. Well, I uh, would say
1: we should do party favors, but it seems like
0: I think Alex did it for us. Yeah, right. He's <laughs> you know, you. Yeah, he was just so good. Um, so uh, let's just I'm going to just give him the citation here. Um, what he said about Local leaders, right, mayors, municipal mm-hmm. leaders, various, you know, municipal councils. Do this is for Republicans and Democrats. Um, wow! Don't a, a,
1: and across the aisle. Yes, thing, another we're bipartisan one, it out right? there. Absolutely, uh,
0: don't work with these federal agencies that are going to basically dangling money in front of you, uh, but are also asking you to do ever more coercive work for the state. Right. That the police is not the answer to so- all social problems. There's there's a lot of diverse social problems. They all have very complex different answers and the police is not the answer. Uh, so that's 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 the party favor for, you know, all you local politicians. I know that federal money looks good <laughs> and and and, you know, the budgets are being squeezed and so on. But it's a deal with the devil um, because uh, what the, the response is basically more violence Police is not the answer. That's right. That's right. That's right.
1: All right, man. Well, um, I guess that's it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. So,
1: No Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by Amit Prakash. Um, Find us on Instagram, Facebook, um, and we have a really nice website. You can leave comments on
0: it. Yeah, and pretty soon you're going to be able to order some t-shirts off of that. That's right. So,
1: t-shirts yeah. are going to be put up. Yeah. Um, it goes to many, a couple good causes. Yeah. We don't make any money off of those. So That's all right. The damn t-shirts. All right, we'll see you next week.
0: See you next week.